Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Success in Sales, Hacks and Chats with Mike McDonald and a very special guest. We have Mike Samuels joining me today. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. No worries, mate. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. So for, for those of you that, that don't know who Mike is, share with us a bit about you and how you spend your time. So I am, I suppose the simplest, simplest way to put it is that I am a copywriter and consultant. So basically what that means, the... The overarching concept of what I do, I suppose, is helping people to sell. And that specifically comes with helping them to sell with their words. So the copywriting part of my business comes along with helping people to write sales pages, write emails, uh, do some social media stuff, uh, adverts, webinars, things like that. So basically, I... I do work for people, so I will write stuff for people or I work with them in terms of kind of crafting their message, making sure their offer is on point, making sure basically the way they communicate their message is persuasive, is unique and speaks to exactly who they want to speak to and obviously increases sales and revenue. Sounds sounds interesting, really. It sounds like there's a lot that can go into it, but how how did you start? So... Share with us a bit about your background, i.e. a bit about where you were born and what it was like for you growing up. So we'll start at the beginning. Um, I mean, I suppose, to be fair, kind of growing up was relatively uneventful. Like, I'm not one of those people who has a, has a crazy hero's journey story or came from poverty or anything like that. It was very much, a, I suppose, traditional English middle-class upbringing. Um, so, yeah, my, I suppose, the sort of the, most interesting thing to start with really is that initially when I first started thinking seriously about what I wanted to do for work I wanted to be a lawyer and that would have been a college I guess because I studied law um, but within about two weeks of doing it I realized I hated it and it was a uh, no offense to any lawyers or solicitors or anything out there but I just found it unimaginably boring and uh, even though obviously the <laughs> You know, the, the money is fairly good, but it was basically at that point that I realized I did not want to be spending my life in an office um, wearing a suit and tie working for someone else. So yeah. I got through it. I did my A-level. Um, I did okay, to be honest. I actually got an A in it. So I'd, right. I'd have probably done okay had I carried on with it. Um, but basically, yeah, hated it so much that instead of going to uni, I decided to go down the fitness route. I'd got into training when I was sort of... 14, 15, I guess, in terms of running and some kind of a bit of basic weightlifting to begin with, and then gradually got more into that. So yeah, I decided to be a personal trainer. I moved to London at 18 from Southampton and qualified to like one of those like fairly short three month courses that I believe now you can basically do in a weekend. But yeah. back then it was, uh, it was three months. It was a bit more intensive. And then I what to do next spent about 18 months working in a gym in London but again it just wasn't massively for me I didn't like the commercial gym environment I didn't particularly enjoy like wearing someone else's uniform having to pay rent to a gym walking gym floor all that kind of stuff so when I was just must have been just before my 20th birthday I moved back to Southampton and I decided to start up my own personal training business. That 
was slow to get off the ground just because I had virtually no idea about marketing. Like I didn't know about advertising, whether it was free stuff, paid stuff. I didn't know about basically all the stuff that I know now I had absolutely no clue about. So <laughs> my thinking was, well, if I'm a personal trainer who comes to people's homes, people are bound to want to hire me. Mm. Obviously, as anyone with a business knows, it's not simply a case of build it and they will come. You actually no. have to do some work for it. So it took me probably six to nine months to realize that of literally just scraping by until I actually started getting some traction. I started working a bit harder and I started putting some more stuff out there, started a website with a blog and an email list and all that kind of stuff. And by probably this time would have been about 2011, I'd say sort of midpoint of 2011, I was actually starting to get pretty busy. So doing like 30, 40 sessions a week or so. And then by the same point in 2012, I was doing 50 plus sessions a week. So I was booked solid. I think that whole year, including um, like Christmas, Easter, bank holidays, all of that, I believe I took only 19 days off. So I worked like 340 something days that year, which was, wow. which was a bit nuts really. Um, <laughs> but kind of, it went from me first starting off doing PT where I had so much free time but hardly making any money to doing really well. Um, like for a, for a 22 year old pulling in probably sort of two, three, four times what most of my friends are making in their jobs, but with virtually no free time, no social life, absolutely no. exhausted up at four thirty most mornings. Um, often didn't get home till like half nine, 10 o'clock. So it's like the cliched fitness industry stuff, but it was definitely true. Like even on a Sunday I've worked till early afternoon. So it got to the stage where I realized that that just wasn't sustainable. I did it for kind of 18 months, two years, and then decided that I needed, needed something different. I couldn't be doing that when I was you know, 30, let alone when I was sort of 40 or 50. So that kind of led me into online stuff. I didn't know too much about online coaching, but I figured that there must be a way to make some money online. So around about that time, sort of 2011, 2012, I, I began doing some writing. So I used to work for Livestrong.com and I get paid, I think it was 20 to $30 to write a 500 word article for them. So actually you're earning kind of the same money as PT, but you could do it from a laptop in a coffee shop, which I'd never thought of doing before because I didn't know that was even an option to make money from doing, but I kind of liked it. I used to enjoy taking my laptop and, you know, not having any time constraints, not having to to be constantly on and energetic and motivating someone else. So writing and online coaching started to take up more and more of my time. And gradually I decreased my in-person workload by, if I say getting rid of clients, that sounds very ruthless, but it was more so by, you know, determining the people who weren't really that interested in training and just did it from a, uh, like for a habit. Um, mm -hmm those people are a bit further away, that kind of thing, gradually reduced those until I was probably at, a, I guess, a 60-40 split in terms of income right. from online stuff and income from in-person stuff. And it was at that point that I went fully online, well, more or less fully online, kind of five hours a week in person and the rest was, was online. And then... I know this is going on a bit, but I'm probably three quarters way through. So <laughs> then at that point, my online business was doing pretty well. Um, 
I guess I was up to about 30 or so clients. I, um, I had some digital products for sale and stuff, but I was kind of getting to the same stage that I'd been with the in-person stuff in that my free time was very, very limited and I couldn't really see how to increase my income anymore um, without working more hours. So I got in touch with a guy who I know you mentioned before you started recording, a guy called Dan Meredith. Um, a few people referred me to him because I, I posted in a group somewhere saying, look, here's the situation, doing pretty well, but I'm getting to the point where I'm burnt out again. Does anyone know uh, like a business consultant, a mentor, mm-hmm. a coach, someone like that who yep. specializes in helping people build and scale online businesses? So a lot of people said Dan Meredith. And this was a Friday night. And then the Saturday morning, I had a call from him. I'd, I'd sent him my number up. I'd, I'd started a Facebook conversation with him. He said, send me your number. I'll give you a ring on Monday. Well, it was actually about 12 hours later. I was sat in a coffee shop Saturday morning. He phoned me up and we were on the phone for about an hour and a half. Um, and he just helped me out loads on that call. And then at the end of it, very, very, very soft pitch. Just said, look, if you want me to help you do this long term, then let me know. Um, here's my rates. It's like on a month month basis, all of that. And I was sold. So I signed up with him there and then uh, just because I knew that it was the it was the thing to do, basically. And over the next couple of months, basically what happened was, although I'd hired Dan to help with my business, which he did, he saw that a big part of how I got clients was posting on social media, was emailing, was writing blogs. And he had a copywriting agency. So he said to me, do you fancy working for me in return for mentoring or coaching? So I didn't pay him any money. Instead, I did some work for him. And gradually what happened over a period of probably four to six months was that um, he actually started paying me to, to write copy for his clients. I didn't really know what copy was before this point, but I picked up, I'd say relatively quickly, just for the fact that he would throw me stuff to do and say, look, this needs to be done in 24 hours you've got to write these 10 emails or we've got two days to get a 5,000 word sales letter out there. Here's a couple of examples. We need one like this for this new product for this client. So it was very much, a, I guess, a total immersion method. So within a few months, I was, I was pretty proficient at writing all forms of sales copy, really. And I suppose without saying it in an overly cliched way, like that, that's where I suppose you'd say the rest is history um, without without me going into major detail over what happened <laughs> no. every single year, it was pretty much, it went on from there. Um, so I started getting my own clients. Um, I, I started picking up uh, coaching clients, helping them with their copy and gradually got to the stage where these days um, I do zero work in the, in the fitness industry. I still have my website that someone else runs and it still makes some money passively, but it's in terms of my actual day-to-day work, it is solely writing copy for other people or coaching people on how to do it themselves. So yeah, that's like the last, I guess, 12 years in about 10 minutes. <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's probably one of the best ways of doing it, you know, just uh, skipping through everything, picking out all the best bits. One of the, the things that did actually stand out for me, now this is purely on my own curiosity this Mike so how did you actually get the writing gig with Livestrong? Um, I think I literally just googled it so I was looking for opportunities to write in the fitness space and I picked up some stuff 
uh, from places like Elance, um, Upwork, Fiverr, that kind of things. But they were typically your, you know, the average, like we'll pay you $5 an hour or we'll pay you like a dollar per hundred words and things like that. So yeah, that didn't massively appeal to me. But I'd done a few bits for sites for free. So I'd written for websites like um, Elite FTS, Muscle and Strength. I'd had a few guest blogs places. And basically Livestrong were run by a company called Demand Media Studios who run the, run the uh, content and blogs for a lot of different websites. And yeah, they had positions open. I applied, got accepted. And I suppose I did a lot. I did a high volume of work for them. I think in uh, in two and a half years, I ended up with something like t- 2,200 articles, I think. I was writing wow. about, I was writing sort of three articles a day most days for them. So yeah, it was wow. you know, clearing kind of a thousand articles a year and I was working for them yeah. for about two and a half years. Wow. Yes, I mean, it, it can stand to, to reason then for people listening that sometimes you've just got to find the thing that you want as opposed to waiting for it to come to you. I mean, I'm assuming you wanted better gigs than just working for Upwork or Fiverr, so you went and looked for them, you know, that like you wanted a business coach, so you, you went out and you, you looked for one. I know people recommended people, but you still had to, to notice that you needed the help and then you wanted to actually go out and find it. Otherwise, no one would have recommended Dan to you, right? It's kind of like, if you don't ask, you don't get kind of thing. So what, what elements would you say you attributed your, your journey to in terms of like how... Because to, to people listening, he probably thinks, oh, well, he just sent an email and he got accepted and, and then he just posted on, on social media and, and Dan popped up and it was, you know, fate, as fate would have it, he, you know, he was looking for someone to help him with his agency. I mean, for, for some people listening, it can seem almost too easy. So I, I able to share a little bit about like maybe how, how you, how you, managed to actually get it in terms of the process so how many emails did it take before you managed to to get this thing with Livestrong and how many people did you actually had to talk to and and all of those sorts of things so share a little bit about the the, the actual nitty-gritty around getting to the place that you are yeah so I think there's I'm not necessarily one for quotes at all but I do like the idea that is it luck is when opportunity meets preparation, something Mm -hmm. like that, or luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So I think that absolutely there's a degree of right place, right time to it. Like if I'd have posted in another group, I might've been recommended another mentor who was, you know, one of those horror show ones we all hear about (laughs) who charges like 5k for a consulting call and basically just tells you go and run some Facebook ads, something like that. So there's definitely luck to it. You know, I could have, uh, I could have never decided to Google that exact phrase and find how to write for Livestrong. But the much bigger part is the preparation part. So there was a, a whole lot of free work that went into it beforehand. You know, there, in terms of the writing, there was no way I could have written that well had I not been doing 50 sessions a week for two years. You know, you don't, you don't, learn enough about your craft unless you're putting in the hours so i think there's absolutely a degree of needing to take action for yourself as in the i say i don't like quotes i'm going to use another one here but it's the the (laughs) idea of uh of ready fire aim as in Mm. do something give it a go and then correct course if you need to 
And I think that's what I've tried to do whenever I've done something in business. So I've got a fairly sensible plan of what I want to do, executed it, and then refined it or called in some help. So like with hiring Dan, it wasn't that I just thought, okay, I want to start off online. Let me go and hire a mentor. It was okay. I want to start off off online. Let me try some stuff. Let me, let me look at what other people are doing, what I think will work, put some feelers out there, not be afraid to approach people, not be afraid to talk to people, not be afraid to advertise my services, get to the point where you're at 30 clients and selling like 60, 70 eBooks a month, and then go Mm -hmm. and find help to scale that. You know, there's, there's very little point hiring someone to tell you the absolute basics because most people can build a a fairly successful business literally by giving stuff a go. You know, as long as you've got a a semi sensible concept, it's, you know, getting to the stage where you can earn an okay living from it shouldn't be that hard. And that's when I think after that you look for opportunities to grow and to scale and you go out and look for more help. That sort of brings up uh, another point as well that you mentioned a while ago, which was about working harder. So in order to to sort of get to a point where you are busy, you are packed, if you will, you are struggling, I guess, with other areas of your life, whether it be sleep or social life or whatever it is, to then decide, okay, I'm at a point where I need to figure something out. I need to figure out how I'm going to keep going you know like you mentioned not being able to keep doing that until you're 50 never mind the the age that you were at the time so then it was when you decided to change something but there's something has to be said for you know you had to work hard you had to work harder than you thought that you could I guess or thought that you would need to in order to hit that point so share a little bit about the I guess the the work rate increase or the, the what it takes to get to that point I certainly think that I'm very honest now with the fact that I can maintain my, well, with what I do now, I can take a couple of weeks off and it, nothing bad happens. I can maintain my business on probably 10 hours a week and I can build it on sort of 25 to 30. So I'm really honest about the fact that now I, I don't think I work massively hard. You know, there, there are times when it's very, very stressful Like if I'm writing a sales page for a client, then it's one of those things like, you know, we've got this new product. We want to get this out there this week and this page needs to perform. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a high degree of stress in that. But at the same time, the vast majority of the time, you know, I, I plan work around my life, not the other way around, but too many people, I think, try and get that. First of all, you know, they they read the four hour work week and they think, okay, that's how life's going to be. And yeah, it's definitely not like that. I think that, (laughs) you know, there's, I was listening to a podcast of the day and I don't think that this isn't a perfect analogy because I think if you're in business, then you, you choose to be in business. So you choose to have that struggle, but it was a, it was a Joe Rogan podcast and the guys on there were talking about the idea that going through something very, very tough makes everything after that easier. So for instance, yeah when I was doing PT and trying to write, it was like 50 odd, I think 52 clients a week was the, was the most I had booked in on a regular basis. So it was 52 clients a week plus travel time. Cause most of the time I was driving around between clients mm. plus probably two hours a day of writing. So I was used to doing literally what 75, 80 hour weeks. It was the, it was the norm. 
And mm-hmm. I think that most people need to go through at least some stage of that. So they appreciate what actual hard work is. And I'm certainly not saying that my, what I did for those couple of years was anything special in any way whatsoever. You know, there are so many people who work loads more hours than that, have much more grueling, difficult jobs. But for me, kind of going through a couple of years of like constant stress, constantly tired, um, you know, really early starts, really late finishes, it's not how anyone wants to run their business long term. And I don't think that being that busy is necessarily a measure of success. I think if you're, if you're that busy for more than a few years, then actually you probably want to look at time management and outsourcing stuff. But to go through something like that, the, the more you can build up that expertise and experience, the quicker you can get better at it. So if you're only doing, you know, if you want to learn copywriting, let's say, and you're only writing for two hours a week, it might take you three years to get really, really good. If you immerse yourself though, and you do three hours a day on top of another job because you really want to, to get to the higher levels and be able to make it your full-time gig, you can probably get to a stage where you're commanding pretty high fees within a few months. So it's kind of one of those things. I don't think you absolutely have to do stupidly long hours, but if you do that and build up that experience, you can get where you want to be a lot quicker. So it kind of brings you back to the, the 10,000 hour reel, doesn't it? Like if you do, yeah. if you do a lot in a day and you do it every day, then you're going to your sort of turnover of repetition, should we say, is going to be a lot higher than someone that does like an hour or two a week. It's like if, if you want to lose weight, go in the gym once a week is, you know, you might lose a little bit. But if you focus on other things, but if you, have like, if, if you go to the gym twice a day, you'll, you'll probably get results quicker, provided you, you obviously train smart as well. So it's kind of like the, the more repetition that you get stands to reason that you're naturally going to make progress quicker, provided, you know, everything else is, is working fine, you know. So sometimes, I mean, I've, I know I've seen this. I don't know if you've got any stories of this, Mike, where people do work really, really hard at like the amount of hours that they're putting in, but then they're kind of spinning their wheels or it's like they're sprinting in a pitch black room and they realize they're going around in circles or something like that. So have you got any stories whereby perhaps hard work might not actually be the most effective? I think certainly from a business and marketing sense, I think people can work very, very, very hard on a bad idea because Ah. the one thing I've found more than anything with copy and I, I always tell people this is actually the one thing I wish I realized sooner is that when it comes to copy, you can, if you have a very, very good offer, that's a bit different from the competition that solves a major life problem for people. And that has an amazing outcome. You don't need amazing copy to sell that the better the copy, the better it will sell, but you can be quite matter of fact about it and almost a bit bland, but because the offer is so good, it will sell. Whereas if you've got a bad offer that's just the same as anyone else out there in the marketplace that has no differentiation at all, you can pay someone like 50 grand for for a copy for it and it will probably still sell really badly because there's no demand for it. So yeah, I've definitely seen people who don't think enough about their idea. They think, oh, you know, uh, I don't let's take the example of they see people on Instagram selling recipe books and they think, Oh, recipe books are great. I'm going to you know, 
spend a hundred hours writing this recipe book. I'm gonna <laughs> design it all myself, you know, go yeah. on Canva or Photoshop, make it look really nice. I'm gonna design all my sales pages, I'm gonna write a, a, a sales sequence for an email list, I'm gonna write a sales sequence for my social media. And they can probably spend in excess of a few thousand pounds and I don't know, a good sort of four or five hundred hours doing it, but because that market is so saturated, if they've not thought very, very carefully about why exactly do people want this recipe book over all the other thousands that are out there from people who have much bigger followings than me, that's the kind of thing that all the hours in the world probably aren't going to make it sell any better because the demand isn't there for it to begin with. Yeah, that, that sort of makes sense. Like you can't almost paper over some of the, the facts, I guess, about what you're selling. Like if, if there's no demand for it or perhaps there's too much like out there that's the same, then as you say, you know, you, you can't get around the fact that there is too much choice out there. So you need something that's actually going to stand you out before copy is going to make much of a difference. I quite like the, again, you keep saying you don't like quotes, Mike, but you know, <laughs> we're working, working very hard on a bad idea. That seems, that seems something that a lot of people can at least ponder on, you know? So how, how would you define a good idea? So I guess there's several components to this and the, the couple of main bits that I would always look for are the, there has to be something unique about it. Unless you have a massive following, you can't get away with saying the same thing as everyone else. Because if I'm someone who, you know, doesn't know you intimately, and I see that, let's just go with the recipe book idea as well. I see that you're selling a recipe book and someone with 2 million followers is also selling a recipe book. I'm always going to go with the person with 2 million followers. It's just, it's a no brainer. That, that level of following gives a certain degree of social proof that makes the 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 uninitiated person think well that person's recipe but much must be better so Mm -hmm. you have to think of something that makes a difference whether you know something like this it could be uh this is weak but it could be like protein-based recipes it could be recipes specifically designed for um women over 40 who want to lose fat that that sort of thing it needs to be specific so mm, the vast majority yeah. of people, specificity is what will sell their offer. Specificity and some kind of story behind it as well. So uh, let me think of an example. Um, okay, so something I'm writing at the moment for a, a supplement company, it's like a, like a green drink product. But there's a lot of green drink out there. Sorry, green drinks out there. Mm-hmm, their yeah. one's got some uniqueness because their target market is like the 35 to 55-year-old stressed mum. So that's that's one thing that differentiates their offer. The second thing is the ingredient blend. It's got, I think it's like nine ingredients that when you look at it, it's the only product on the market that has all those nine. And there's some interesting ideas behind those ingredients as well. You know, there's, um, we can pick out stories about why those ingredients are included. But the other bit I'm looking to, to do for them with all the sales copy is taking a really emotive story about someone who's used it. So we are taking a real life true case study um, and telling the story of how this product has changed their life. So even if you're doing something like a recipe book and you think, well, I, I don't know what's unique about it. You know, there's a, there's 10 other recipe books all like mine. Can you find a client or someone you've helped someone you've worked with who 
has used like the recipes in there or the principles or the concepts, anything basically, and had a massive turnaround in their life. So maybe they've lost 50 pounds. Like before, before this recipe book, they were trying all these different diets and then all they did was buy your recipe book and they ate something from it, two meals every single day and they lost 50 pounds. That kind of thing, it automatically makes it different because that story is unique to your product. So yeah, it's basically those three things. It's something being unique, something being specific and ideally attaching a story to it. Is there an element of, because with, with, with copy and with, you know, creating stories and things, sometimes it, it's almost like it needs to be believable as well. Uh, part of the, the thing that I do see a lot of, which I think we mentioned it a while ago, is that there are people that are selling things that are a little bit outrageous. They're a little bit exaggerated. They're a little bit like out there in terms of like what's possible, particularly if, if they're marketing it to like every business owner in the world. And it's like, okay, it's like six figures in two months or, or something like that. You know, when you sort of think like, okay, is that actually doable? So how far do we take it in terms of making it effective and making it social proof, like really good, and then trying to have that blend of uniqueness and specificity in with the stories and things. But is there an element of, obviously they need to be true. So when you're putting the stories together, you need to get like actual case studies, but then have have you ever had a case study come through and you think, is that actually the case? It could be the case, but you know, like one that isn't quite like believable when it comes to that. I guess the best example I can think of that isn't one that I actually worked on, but I was hired by a company a couple of years ago for almost that reason. It was the fact that their, their previous sales copy had sold really well, but Mm -hmm because of the claims they made on it they basically claimed that that their product you know, produced effortless fat loss so people wouldn't have mm. to do a single thing well <laughs> most people know that that simply isn't true but obviously the audience were were sucked in by it and so actually yeah the they made huge profits on the front end but the refund request was so high that they they hardly made anything at all once they kind of covered all their costs you know cost of sending stuff back and all of that Mm -hmm. their their profits were very very low certainly in percentage terms anyway so yeah that's that comes from obviously making stuff up i guess which you know most audiences now (laughs) it it's ethically i certainly don't recommend making stuff up but even if your ethics say it's okay to make something up what you have to realize is that most audiences now are very jaded, especially in the yeah. in the weight loss niche, the make money niche, the all that kind of stuff. They're much, much smarter. And so actually anything you say, like I said, it doesn't go with my personal ethics, but if you're thinking about making up a claim, then just realize that people are probably gonna suss it out. You know, you could get away with a lot of stuff back in like two thousand the early two thousands, I guess, people mm-hmm. were getting away with a lot, lot more. Yeah. Um, and that's because most stuff was newer. Nowadays, sort of 15 odd years on, um, that basically doesn't fly anymore, for the most part anyway. So my thing is always, if you can use true stories, do it. Um, if you have one that you do think is almost too good to be true, I would just be straight up and honest with it. So one thing that I always do, because I believe that actually radical honesty in sales copy is, if anything, beneficial 
one thing I always do is I will put disclaimers very big and bold. So I don't go for any of the, you know, at the bottom of the page in kind of size six font crap. (laughs) I will say, you know, it's a bit cliche, but the idea of this is not for everyone. But saying stuff like, you know, you will have to put in work for this. This, if it's like a make money offer, I will say to people, you know, this this doesn't just happen overnight. You have to put in the work. Um, I remember reading a a John Romanello page ages ago and his disclaimer was something like um, the, the, the FTC requires that we we put a disclaimer about, you know, results aren't guaranteed. And then he, he put something like, quite honestly, the vast majority of people who buy this will get absolutely no results whatsoever because they simply won't put in the work. So if, <laughs> if you're going to buy this, I'm perfectly happy with you giving me money. And I don't even care if you buy it and you never do anything with it. Just like, just don't badmouth me. Don't ask. It was something like that. You know, he's very honest about it. Look, actually, the, most people who download this won't get the results because they won't do anything with it. And that almost works as um, like reverse psychology. So it makes people think, I'm yeah. actually going to put the work and I'm going to do it. But yeah, be, being honest, there's nothing bad about that in sales copy. Yes, you need some sort of hype and some sort of excitement. But the minute you start making stuff up or you start, you start making claims that even you know are just a bit too good to be true, that's when you're in like quite muddy waters. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. I guess that was why I, I asked the question was, you know, people do like sort of get soaked up a little bit by the hype and all those things regarding products and services. And, you know, people do start like exaggerating things because, you know, the more people do it, the more people do it. <laughs> it's, it's almost becomes a battleground, I guess, when you go online as well, is that everyone's just getting more and more like shorter time frames and much much bigger results and it has to has to come a point when people have to start asking about the the starting point of those people uh they go oh six figures in like 30 days well if they're just on the brink of hitting that mark anyway then they haven't had to do an awful lot to get there then of course it's possible but then as you say it's it's hard because if it looks too good to be true to you, the person that sells it or the person that has to write the copy for it, then you always it pays to be honest. They say, look, although they did get this result, although it was actually true, this did actually happen, you can even contact them and, and they can tell you, it does sound a little bit too good to be true. And, even, <laughs> and it even say, <laughs> kind of made me laugh a little bit when you said, look, a lot of people won't get results for this uh, because they won't actually do the work. And it, you're quite right. The amount of people that have turned around and, and said to, to some of those people can be, well, I bought it because of that. And like, I'm sick of, I'm sick of buying something and not using it. And I thought, well, I'd buy this. And because you've told me no one gets the results if they don't do the work, I'm actually going to take this. I'm actually going to do something with it. So, and then that then feeds into it then, because if they do the work, they get the results, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And it's that idea that, yeah, the, the brutal honesty of it and actually acknowledging that fact, that's certainly in this day and age, that's, it's very important that actually people know that they need to do work because like I said, even if you get away with it and I hate using that term and it's not one that I'd, I wouldn't want to work with anyone who, who thought of things like that. But even if you do get away with it and that's what you do, 
then ultimately in terms of refunds, in terms of reputation, that's just gone. You know, it takes so long to build a good reputation mm-hmm. and literally seconds to get rid of it. So being truthful in your copy and people don't need to offer guarantees and that kind of thing. But if I'm not offering a guarantee, I will say that reason. Like, I don't offer a guarantee because most people who buy programs don't action them. So I don't want to be messing around because you've decided on a whim to buy this six months down the line you think actually i've not used that i'm going to get my money back you know i've not put the time and effort into this you know writing this program to do that so actually if you think this is you don't buy it you know come come back here in a few months time when you're willing to put the work in and then think about doing it then that kind of thing it maybe doesn't suit every niche and every offer but certainly in my own stuff that's kind of the approach i take like look you know me i don't talk about overnight cures and all this that and the other so if you want to do this just know that it's going to take you roughly x hours a week for for this amount of time uh results are variable but you can you can uh remove some some objections i guess if you have something like that by for example one of mine it was a it was a course of 500 quid and i said look it's actually very, very difficult not to get your money back through this course. That's not me being brash, but look at it like this. If you do what I teach you, even if you sell just two emails to a client at £250 a piece, you've got your money back from this course. So that's how easy it is to to get the results back. Yeah, I guess if, yeah, it's, it's hard to... It's hard to get that across, I guess, to some people because they see what others are doing with the guarantees and all those things and they try and copy it. And I quite like the example that, that you gave of, oh, I've not used that for six months where the guarantee was on it, so I'll go and get my money back. And I guess that, that well, at least I imagine from my own sort of knowledge, I guess, of the industries that, that I've been a part of for people that I've spoken to on the show is it becomes like a cycle that people tend to go through like they, they buy stuff whether they use it or not whether they get the results or not but then they always try to find a way of particularly if they can get the money back they find a way of doing it like I've seen people have like very harsh emails being sent to them about the programs that they've done and they've just replied and said well did you do it and they've got oh well no, but it's been in, it's been, been sat there for six months, so I thought I would get my money back. And it's <laughs> it, 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 it's not exactly a helpful thing because, A, they're still not getting results either. So there's a part of you as the person that's trying to help them that's like, well, you know, it, although it's not exactly an easy scenario to be in, like, I, I still feel bad because you've not actually got any results. You've not actually done the work that's in the course, so you're still where you were before you bought it. And then that, that makes you sort of feel bad then because you, you want to help people as well, see? Yeah, and I think my stance has usually been if someone is completely genuine about wanting some sort of refund, then I don't mind doing it. I have two ways of approaching it. One would be if I feel someone is completely genuine. So case in point, I had um, my first copy course that I released. It was probably almost three years ago, I think it was like copywriting for fitness professionals. Um, A guy signed up, did the first couple of modules and said, actually, I don't think this is for me. You know, I kind of, I can't remember his exact reason, but something about 
like he'd, I don't know, he'd, he'd done a lot of other courses and he felt it didn't teach him anything new. Okay, that's fine. Like it wasn't the end of the world. For me, I felt, do you know what? Give him his money back. Apologize. It wasn't for him. It seemed genuine. He then went on to pay me about £8,000, I think, over the next few months in terms of other services. So he had some personal right. coaching. He, mm-hmm. he got me to write a couple of bits for him. So for that, you know, just doing the what I saw as a decent thing actually led to much more business in the long run. Whereas you do get people who obviously do like what you said in terms of download stuff just to scratch an itch or just because they think I'll get this and don't do anything. For me, if someone does that, then I have the, um, the approach. I think it's Derek Halpern who, who I heard say this, that if someone's a bit of a dick about a refund, you give them your refund, but you just blacklist them from everything. So they can't buy any other product. <laughs> you know, you can even get them off your list if you want to, just because it's not worth the time. It's not worth the time and the energy. So if you feel someone is just being a bit of an arse about it, yeah, refund them, but get them off your list. Don't have anything else to do with them. Yeah, I guess it does ultimately come down to your own like morals, I guess, or your own ethical code, if you will, about just how you do things. You know, it's just kind of like, well, what is your procedure? What what is your intuition around this scenario? Are they being genuine? Are they just being a bit of a pain about it? And you sort of say, well, if they're going to be a pain, well, they're probably going to stay that way. So I don't really want to work with people that that you know act like that because it doesn't really help me. So I have to obviously make changes and, and go about my business in, in the appropriate way. So, yeah, I mean, for those of you that are listening, I know <clears throat> Mike has gone through a lot in terms of how to run a business, how to get somewhere with everything, um, different techniques and different, I guess, concepts around copy and things to help with, with you guys that maybe want to sell more using the words that you write. But, um, would you be able to summarize things up maybe, Mike, into maybe a, a top three for, I guess, helping us craft words and craft sentences that actually help us sell things? I suppose the, there's a couple of big bits and these, these apply whatever it is. They're not, I suppose they're not kind of getting really down into the, into the details, but it's, it's really, really overused, but being yourself is a big one. And I, I hate when people talk about, oh, you need to be authentic and you need to be like, unapologetically you because I think those terms are generally massively overused. But there's nothing wrong with being divisive in the copy you use. So kind of showing your whole personality and not aiming to please everyone. Like trying to please everyone is perhaps the best way to not ever really appeal to anyone just because I would rather be hated by 75% of people that I that I reach and loved by 25 than 100% of people thought I was okay you know you can build a very successful business on a very small number of followers if you have them not if you have them but if they if they love what you say and if they really resonate with your message and that comes by yeah being yourself not being afraid to upset people if it's you know if it's one of your truths if you truly believe in something and stand for something you shouldn't feel bad about saying it. Um, and I guess the other thing is just having, having something that people actually want and communicating it in a way that those people can understand. So a lot of people get very, very caught up in using big words and fancy phrases. And use the, the perfect example is you get it a lot in the, in the mindset niche and people basically, 
they they try and sell like they're Tony Robbins. And Tony Robbins sells very, very well because he's Tony Robbins, but so many other people use kind of very, very woo-woo language, um, very kind of abstract concepts that they see Tony yeah. Robbins using, and it just mm-hmm. doesn't work for them. So the vast majority of the stuff you put out should be very, very simple for people to, to digest and understand. So yeah, I suppose they're like the two bits that apply to literally any form of copy you write. And those two things, maybe they're not like direct sales tactics, but they'll certainly help you build a, build a really loyal following over time who will want to buy from you when you put an offer out. Yeah, that, that kind of makes sense as well, because if people don't understand it, then, you know, that, that, that's kind of where they stop in terms of, I guess, trusting you to solve their problems to a certain extent. If they don't understand it, then how are you going to take anything further? I guess, I mean, for, for some people listening, that's probably just common knowledge, but is it common practice though? You kind of have to ask yourself, well, is that something you do actually do? Or is that something that you do half the time? Which means you're probably going to struggle half the time as well. So, so yeah, thanks for sharing that, Mike. If people wanted to find out a bit more about yourself, where can people go? So we've got like websites or social media or the best places to find you. Best thing to do is probably just add me on Facebook. Um, I tend to spend most of my time there. Um, I would give you a link to join my email list, but it's a very long link. So yeah, if people want to join my email list, then I also give away a free email autoresponder template for turning um, followers into customers in seven days or less. So yeah, if you fancy that, add me on Facebook. It's Mike Samuels. Uh, ping me a message and I can send you the link for the, uh, for the free guide. All right. Awesome. Have you got any final parting words? I know we're getting close to the end. So final parting words regarding copy and things. And then we've got one last question before we go. Um, I don't know. I'm never very good at summaries. <laughs> I guess <laughs> but my thing would always be, I'm not a fan of constantly selling. So a lot of people get in their heads the idea that copy is like sell, 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 always make offers. Some people do that very, very well. People like Ben Settle and Doman Dan. The majority of other people, I would say you're better off giving value and cementing your positioning as an expert in your chosen field and then making offers, sporadically is the wrong word, but making offers less frequently. So instead of like, if you send a daily email, let's say, instead of finishing every single email with a link to apply to your coaching, you're probably best off having like a a mini launch for it once every couple of months. So that's a bit different to what I've said already, but yeah, I feel it's, uh, it's probably worthwhile saying. Yeah, that's, that's fair enough, Mike. Uh, One last question. And I asked everybody this, so we don't have to talk about what we've said before. We can blow everything wide open. And the question is, what would you like the world to know about you that it doesn't already know? Um, I, God, I don't know. Um, to be fair, I think probably because I share a lot on social media, I think that people, certainly people who follow me will know a lot already. Um, I guess probably if, if I sort of turn it round and turn it into more of a, I hesitate to use the word lesson, but a bit more advice as well, is that I'd say that I 100% was not a natural writer and didn't even like writing when I started. Um, 
but gradually got into it. So if anyone else is thinking about getting into copywriting or, you know, wants to sell more stuff, but says, Oh, I'm not good at writing or, you know, I'm not, I'm not a natural writer. Like it really doesn't matter. Like I was, I would, it was far from my favorite subject at school. I did okay at it, but certainly didn't excel. But like a lot of skills in life, if you want to get good at them, it's actually not too difficult to get very, very proficient with hard work and practice. You might never be the best in the world, but you can certainly get top 5% with the right attitude and the right approach to it. Well, Mike, that is an amazing way to end. Thanks for being a guest. And those of you that are listening, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of our future guests. If you like this one, make sure you, make sure you share it out so people can tune in as well. Tell people about the show because I enjoyed it. I know you enjoyed it. So let's see if others can enjoy it too. Mike, thanks again. I appreciate you coming on and I'm sure we'll keep in touch. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much.